Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Hi, welcome back to the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm Bill Alfstead here with Keith Myers, and this is kind of the show before the show. We've recorded a complete segment, uh, of course, uh, after we got done uh, recording. The Jamal Adams news broke that he signed a new deal with the Seahawks, and so we're here just to talk about it a little bit, make sure we don't miss out on another uh, breaking story, as we seem to do occasionally, Keith. Well, this is this is our like thing, is if you want some news to hit, have us record about it being not done and then it will immediately happen yes. because we've done this so many times <laughs> over the last you know, know. four All and right. a half, five years that it, it just keeps happening to us. But yeah, so uh, Jamal Adams has signed four years, 70 million, 38 of it guaranteed, um, a couple million in incentives that we know nothing about as far as what those incentives are. So yeah, I mean, it's a pretty much in line with exactly where everyone thought he would be, really. Yeah. And it turned out to be like, if you go back to Bob Condotta's uh, report. He said the Seahawks were uh, at 30 million guaranteed. The counter offer was at 40, and they sat there. Guaranteed. They were at 38. He wanted 40. Yeah. The Seahawks were at 38, and yep. they were, and he came back at 40. And so they just, that was where that, they were off by 2 million. And it's been two weeks. Um, but the ended up being 38. And so, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a good deal. You know, it was going to happen. It was going to happen the minute that they traded for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was just a formality as it turns out. And, um, it was even a formality that, that, uh, Adams was, you know, holding out per se, uh, understand from his conversations today with the media that, uh, and with his mother, uh, and, and their conversations back and forth regarding this issue that he was always intending to take the field on the very first game, uh, regardless of his contract situation. So everything that you saw in the last uh, couple months was posturing, which is exactly the way that uh, these things end up playing out with these high-profile deals and players. Yep. So there's no surprises at all. The, the great news is Jamal Adams is back in the fold. He's part of the defense. Now uh, the defense really kind of solidifies around a player like Jamal Adams. Obviously, we've had Bobby Wagner in. Uh, that's not going to change. But having somebody like Adams, where the defensive scheme is kind of, in a sense, built around him um, because he plays so many different spots and could do so many different things. I understand that um, he's going to try to play a more traditional role this year. We'll see how that goes, um, just from a, a, a you know, a posturing situation. I don't, I'm not surprised that they would say that, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if he lines up in five or six different spots like he did last year. Oh, he's going to line up in five or six different spots. He's going to be doing a lot of everything. That's that's where a lot of his value is, is that he can he can give you anything you want. I mean, he can rush the passer. He's, you know, good against the run. Uh, he's better in coverage than I think people think realize. Um, he's really physical. He can Play Two years ago, he was graded out as a uh, in Pro Football Focus as having the third highest safety grade in the NFL. Mm-hmm. You know, last year was kind of a a blip 
for whatever mm-hmm. reason. I think he was getting used to the defense. The defense was getting used to him. Well, he, was he was schemed hurt. incorrectly, he you know, hurt. just out of necessity. Mm-hmm. The, the cool thing about uh, his use this year is I think he becomes even more diverse to Seattle's defense because of uh, Marquise Blair. Yeah. Not only because of Marquise Blair, but also because of the fact that they've got pass rushers, which they didn't have for most of last year. They they couldn't get after the quarterback, so they were having him blitz over and over again, which is how he ended up with nine and a half sacks. Um, whereas this year, they don't have to blitz him. They can, and they will, and he'll get some sacks, but they don't have to blitz him in order to get pressure. So he's going to be doing more stuff. He's going to be in coverage at times. He's going to be rotating and and... You'll see him, oh, this, you know, last time he lined up in this exact spot, he covered the tight end. And then this time, nope, now it's the running back. And then the next time, nope, it's the slot receiver. And he's going to be doing a lot of everything because they don't have to have him go be a pass rusher um, all the time. Yeah. And then, of course, the leadership, um, having him on the field, I think, is just the the icing on the cake. Um, Of course, we gave up a ton to get him. But Mm -hmm. I believe that having Jamal Adams uh, under contract, in team control for at least five more years is um, is legit and really gives the uh, the defense an opportunity to transition away from Bobby Wagner as the leader of the defense going forward after this year. We just don't know exactly where that's going to land. Um, having Jamal Adams in the in the fold really kind of at least makes me feel good about the defense going forward. Kind of gives us a more aggressive posture. Got that swagger that um, the Seahawks really need to have. On, on their defense and they kind of lack that at least they did last year a little bit when he was in there it was awesome when he was out there uh, out of there it really kind of stood out yeah and and i mean he's a he's a difference maker and is that a lot of money for a safety yep but he's a difference maker he's a guy that changes what offenses do he um yeah, he just, he, he, what's, uh, Snyder says he tilts the field. There's not a lot of guys like that, uh, in the NFL. Um, so yeah, it's a lot for a safety, but he's worth it. Um, I and will he's say, not a, he's not a traditional guy. He's just no, not. No. And I will say that, um, we don't know the specifics of the deal other than the part that we already said, the 38 million and 70 million, four years, all of that. Um, but most likely it's, backloaded a little bit so that that money comes in years three and four when the salary cap has ballooned because of these new media rights deals that uh, just got signed. And so, um, you know, when the salary cap jumps up uh, an extra $50 million, that, you know, the extra price tag, you're like, oh, it's so much. It's not going to be a huge chunk of the salary cap in terms of its percentage. It's going to be pretty, you know, pretty basic. Um, it would be like twelve million in today's dollars. Um, and they'll transition from paying Bobby Wagner seventeen and twenty million to Jamal Adams seventeen yeah. to twenty million. Yep, essentially. <laughs> so, um, one more point. Um, now that this deal is done, and we know the Seahawks like to focus on priorities and uh, first things first. There's a certain order to things. Now we talk about Dwayne Brown. Um, do mm-hmm. they get something done because they got this deal done, or is this just kind of completely separated and its own separate way of thinking. If it was me, I would get it done. Like, okay, you got the Jamal Adams things done. You know what the terms are. You know where you're standing as far as your cap resources for this year and next year. Now that you've got that done, 
Um, now you move on and get Dwayne Brown. The Seahawks don't seem uh, as like there's a, like he's as much of a priority. I think they're looking at his age and his price tag and go, you know, what? we can do something else. Um, I if I was them, I'd be looking at your disgruntled quarterback who doesn't like getting hit um, and be like, you know what? I'm gonna, we're going to lock this guy up. We're going to give him one more year. Go ahead and do it now. So he's got this year and next year. Guarantee both years and keep him in town for another year just to keep him happy. Yeah, Dwayne Brown is getting to the age where he is kind of a one-year-at-a-time kind of guy. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe two, um, and maybe that's what he's looking for. I don't blame him, but um, for the Seahawks' perspective, you do kind of want to do these deals now in one-year increments with a guy like Dwayne Brown, given his age. Um, He is susceptible to some some being nicked up and some injuries and so forth. And, you know, the Seahawks just need to, to, to hedge and do their due diligence on this deal. And they don't want to give up too much. I think having a transition year, um, and in addition to this year would be a good deal for the Seahawks and probably worth the money that they would need to spend two years. I'm not so sure you want to hamstring your, your, uh, your roster, your cap and so forth on a player that's going to, you know, nearly be 38 years old by the time that that deal would be done or, mm-hmm. or 39, something like that. So yeah. Any hoodaloo. Well, let's wrap this up. We'll get to the main show. So, uh, you know where to find us and all that good stuff. And, uh, we'll get you right into the, uh, to the main segment. We'll see you guys. Seahawk fans. Welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks playbook podcast. I'm your host, Bill Offsted, sitting down right next to Keith Myers. As you can tell, uh, we're in the same exact room and, um, no, not really. But. Yeah, we're in the same exact room, but don't just don't mind my microphone, which has like literally been cut in half, but still works. Um, yeah. Yeah. Welcome in. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. You know, it's going to be 77 uh, here today. I don't even remember what that feels like. Has it been? Ohio. Has it been hot? Oh God, it's been like brutal. Um, every day has been in the been in the upper 90s, and you know, it's just been the hottest summer I can ever remember. And then today's going to be like a normal Pacific Northwest kind of day. And I'm like, yes, nice. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been crazy weather here. Like we've had full on monsoon season. Um, since first time since I've been here, the first year I, I landed here, it was a pretty decent season, but this year is like almost every day. There is something going on at night. Little big electrical storms, massive rain showers, flooding. Um, it's it's kind of nuts, and it's it's fun to watch. But uh, we've had more rain in the last three weeks than all of the time that I've been here in three years combined. Where, meanwhile, up here in the wet, rainy Pacific Northwest, we haven't had measurable rain in over two months. Yeah, well, we'll get there in in September, and then we'll see where we stand in May. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> rain very much here in the winter, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, welcome into the show. Uh, we just decided to change up the little video. If you're watching on video on YouTube, uh, just because uh, we're having a little fun. This is actually one of our last shows where we're going to do like an over probably an over an hour show uh we're going to change our format where we're going to split that up into three shows half hour each we're going to see how that goes um, but that's going to start next week and uh possibly a change in, in video uh platform that we use to record our shows too so lots of changes coming up but we still have to kind of get used to everything so 
I may be saying it, this. It won't today, change but... much for you guys, other than <laughs> rather than rather than committing to an hour and a half of of listening to me ramble and and Bill um, try and put up with it. You get um, now to do it in three thirty minute chunks. So it's yeah. it's roughly it's the same thing for you guys. It's just this is different for Bill and I, and easier to digest. Show mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so today we're going to talk about the um, the ugliness of the first preseason game. Won't spend too much time on that. Uh, we're going to just talk about what we what we learned, what we noticed. Um, talk about some players, all that kind of stuff. We'll have some news in just a second where we talk about some players that the team decided to move on from, and then we'll take a look at the next preseason game, which I think is probably maybe the most significant game, at least for the starters uh, and then the last game will be the most important for all the reserves to kind of show, um, show what they've got to see if they can hang on and make the roster. So um, today let's talk about players that uh, the Seahawks decided to move on from. It's a quick list. You probably haven't heard of these guys, so I'll, I'll make it quick. Cameron Scarlett running back, Anthony Radcliffe Williams, wide receiver. I didn't even know he was on the roster. Walter Paul uh, Moore at defensive tackle, Jordan Miller, cornerback, uh, Lucas McNeil, offensive tackle, and Nate Evans, linebacker. Uh, that was six players, so they signed a, a player uh, to take the place of one of those defensive end, Alex Changum, out of the University of Colorado, undrafted rookie free agent. So um, that guy is actually kind of interesting. He... Uh, didn't really start playing football until uh, college, uh, junior college, and so he's really new to the uh, to the sport. But super athletic, a um, little undersized for defensive end, but we'll see how that goes. But uh, really athletic guy needs a lot of. He's a project, but um, interesting and um, in- interesting athlete. So we'll see if anything ever comes from that. Yeah. I mean, it's always curious when we have another player, it just gives us one more, one more guy to look at. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, they usually don't stick, but once in a while, you just never know. You uncover that little diamond. That's why they put pull players through and, and see what they've got and to take snaps. Um, so <laughs> everyone's kind of in, in all sorts of different modes after this game, everyone kind of goes into the season that you all want to see, what, where the team is at. You want to evaluate players that we've been talking about for months on end and they get out on the field and they just lay an egg and you're like, I don't even know what that was, but it wasn't football. Um, oh, the, the saving was... grace, Keith, is that literally the, the team had virtually zero starters, both on offense and defense. I think there was like uh, four or five starters on defense, zero on offense. The team sat like 31 players on their 90-man roster, didn't even Mm -hmm. play. Um, So it was basically second, third, fourth string guys out there. And the product that we saw just really wasn't Seahawk football. But I don't know that we necessarily need to read too much into that other than the fact that it was fairly ugly to watch. And now we're just going to move on to the next next game. Yeah, I mean... when we talked about what did we want to see going in and I was talking about like um, having the offense, you know, kind of operate at tempo and, and what everything. And then you realize that none of the starting 
offensive line, nor is Russell Wilson, nor any of the top receivers playing. And you're like, okay, who cares? <laughs> so yeah, you're like, whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's talk about a few players because there were a few things that were good. And then a lot of stuff that was not so good. Um, I thought DJ Dallas had, had a game, um, at least a play where he showed that burst. Like, you kind of forget when you when you don't see a player for a while and they didn't get too much playing time last year, you kind of forget what they really have. Um, he's obviously worked in the offseason to kind of add a little bit of that zippiness and that quickness to his game, I thought. And it showed up on the on the the receiving um play out of the backfield and he turned that into a touchdown. Mm-hmm. And um I really liked that. I really liked what I saw there from him. And I think it solidifies his spot on the roster and Homer is on the outside looking in. Oh yeah. He's, um, it's not even a a really a competition at this point. I mean, based on what we've seen at practice and, and um, DJ Dallas showed that he's ready to play. Um, Alex Collins is a guy that continues to, to produce and look good and and uh honestly when you were taught when you were listing the players that um got cut and there were running backs i couldn't even remember that i didn't even remember they were on the team um because they they've switched out mm-hmm. who these back into the roster running backs are so many times and now there's none of them um yeah it comes down to there being uh really i mean Dallas seems to have made the roster. Collins is close. And then that's it. Yeah, and, they have and then, of course, the top. Josh three. Johnson, right? I think he's, yeah, still, he's still hanging around, around a little bit. Um, <laughs> he's, he's like the only one left. Right. Um, of all the other guys. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not really counting Nick Ballour on this in this list. And so you nope. just kind of, that's it. I mean, those that's the roster, really. Now, Homer's going to be on the bubble just given the fact that <clears throat> they may elect keep an additional wide receiver and we'll just have to kind of see or, or tight end and we'll see how that goes. Um, I was going to mention too, um, just overall, it was just kind of a meager performance by the offense outside of that, really that one play Seattle was really just stuck in the mud, 194 total yards, um, 3.9 yards per attempt, four out of 13 on third down, I think seven or eight overall first downs in the entire game time of possession was just completely lopsided. I think Seattle had the ball like 20 minutes and, um, and they had the ball 40 minutes, um, on the defensive side, there were a couple more players that, that stood out. Um, Rasheem green, I thought had a great game. I was actually pleasantly surprised, although you have to take it in, you know, you have to put it in perspective as far as, uh, the kind of players that he's going up against. You know who was um, even more impressive uh, on that on the defense defensive line in terms of like yeah, but take take into account who they're playing against was Alton Robinson. He looked disruptive yeah. in that game and was just in the backfield a lot. Like I think our um, assessment that he's uh, primed to make a big impact uh, really was shown in there is that he looks like he's ready. Rasheem Green, that's that's you know the best we've seen out of him in a couple of years. So we'll see if he can continue to produce once more starters are on the field um, mm-hmm. on the opposing teams. But 
if he's going to make this roster, he needs to continue to play at that level. Yeah. And we'll see like exactly, I think where they're at right now, because I think Denver is going to be a, a much larger opponent offensively for Seattle. Um, not only up front in the trenches, but just overall skill level players on their offense. Um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. The other guy I thought did really well is uh, Ugu Amadi. Ryan Neal had a good game. Cody Barton mm-hmm. had a couple sacks. I think he was pretty active. Um, and, you know, I don't think that he's going to earn a starting opportunity here, but I think that he's going to definitely earn some playing time. And, of course, he's a good special teams guy. You know, everyone's yeah, talking about Ben Burkirvin a little bit. I didn't really see anything other than just Ben Burkirvin being Ben Burkirvin, which is an undersized linebacker making a lot of plays behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, he can make, uh, he can find the ball, but he's not going to be playing up close to the line of scrimmage. He can't. He's too small. He's going to get swallowed up. He needs to hang back, play behind the line of scrimmage. So anytime you see him make a play, I think it's generally going to be three, four yards past the line of scrimmage and you know he's a decent tackler but we saw in that one play he can also get run over when he's tackling as well guy picked up mm-hmm. an additional four yards while he's dragging Irvin down the field so. um yeah. what did you think of the offense is there anybody else on offense like you're kind of an offensive line guy um everyone's talking about how poorly this you know Kyle Fuller played at center um but people are also giving a little bit of um, credit to um, Forsyth for maybe starting yeah. starting rough, but finishing really pretty decent for a guy that's a rookie sixth round draft pick that's coming in just kind of play a backup role this year. Well, I mean, with Cedric Buhi out with that um, bicep injury, you're looking for a swing tackle at this point. Um, and... I mean, Abuhi will be back. So at some point he'll be be back and he'll be that third tackle, it looks like. Um, and and so they'll have that. But in the meantime, they need a third tackle. And uh, Forsyth is like kind of the guy you have to pencil in there. And he, yeah, he started, it started out kind of bad. But the longer he was in there, the more comfortable he, he became, um, the more he settled down in his technique he looked like he's a guy that can play. He's a guy that that's uh, going to have an NFL career. And that's a great sign for them because he's really the only guy on this roster at tackle who's signed beyond this season. Everyone else is a free agent at the end of the year. Well, and they just need to give a guy like that some playing time, especially in the preseason. I, this is actually a good thing for him to get in there. You can make a lot of mistakes. Uh, it, it's going to be, mostly forgiven and you just kind of pick it up and and learn. And um, that really establishes the kind of player you are anyway. You don't want to make the same mistake twice, um, you know, as an offensive lineman. And if you can learn from that and adjust and he's just a big guy, he's got a lot of potential. Let's see what he's got. So that way we know what we have, you know, Um, what did you think overall of the play calling out of, um, out of this, the offensive scheme in the first game, I was a little perplexed given the fact that we probably knew we were going to have some struggles in pass protection. They went real pass heavy out of the gate, only three runs in the first half. They didn't have the ball very many plays. So that's kind of skewed, but I think it goes, it, it, it kind of goes into a situation where 
if the offense doesn't work, this is the sort of thing that can happen because uh, once you have one incompletion, you're going to probably end up passing the ball on second down. If you have that incompletion, it's third and long, and we see the struggles that the offense had in that. Now, obviously, it's really difficult to gauge this isn't the real offense, but it is the real scheme. I was just curious what you what you thought of that. Well, I don't know if um, how how much this was the scheme because um, didn't, you go into didn't a game look like, like this, what we expected. None of the starters were playing it, and, and, and all of that. It's it looks like a practice where things were done in a way to evaluate players, not done in a way to execute drives. Um, and yeah, that led to a lot of, you know, early or three and out kind of situations in the first half. And they had to uh, make some adjustments and, you know, they, they didn't get a, a good look at players in the first half because they didn't, they didn't extend drives. Um, but you didn't feel like they were executing an offense. They weren't necessarily going, okay, we need, you know, six yards for a, for a first down. Let's call a play. That's going to get us that first down. They were like, okay, we're going to call a play that um, we want to see how this player looks in this play with this assignment. Um, And if it gets us the six yards, great. If not, we'll just punt it and move on. And um, that part is kind of frustrating, but I'm, I'm, I'm willing to let it roll until we at least have a starter on the field um, with the offense and not worry about it too much. I agree. Um, what did you think of uh, Daryl Taylor, Akella Witherspoon, and Trey Flowers in this game? Um, Akella Witherspoon only gave up one catch for six yards. So I know there's some people that are like, uh, we shouldn't just be giving him the starting job. I'm like, what are you expecting from him? He gave up one catch for six yards. And then I saw uh, um, some people being like, you know, Trey Brown needs to be a starter. Like he needs to get in there and a chance to play and, and all that. He had four targets. He gave up three catches. He looked pretty um, good on special teams on returns. I'll have to, I'll say he that. He did. He did. And I, I think that's where he's going to uh, make an impact on games early in the season. while he continues to, um, you know, figure things out on, um, on defense, but uh, Witherspoon was fine. He was good. I mean, he actually gave up one catch for six yards. Um, Trey Flowers looked like Trey Flowers. I was expecting him to be better given all of the uh, work he put in the offseason, all the praise given to him by, um, by Pete Carroll, and then he just it didn't translate into... Um, significantly better results. He just looked about like he did last year, um, which will make him fine as a number three corner and a guy that will come in. And I don't mean that as like a, a nickel, cause that's going to be Ugo Amadi or um, Blair, you know, however that works with uh, the Jamal Adams situation, but um, the third outside corner. And so he will, he'll play if someone gets hurt type of situation. Uh, and I think he'll, he's, he'll, he'll be fine in that role, but, he didn't, God, he just didn't. I was hoping he'd look really good. Just, well, he had that one one play down the sideline where I thought he had excellent coverage and just didn't make a play on the ball, just really didn't even think that I it was a possibility that the wide receiver was going to be able to come down with that because he was so close to that sideline. 
and mm-hmm. he dropped it in there. I mean, credit to the to the Denver offense there and the quarterback to to drop that in. But Trey Flowers could have made a play on that. He was right there. Yeah, um, so and that's, that's a little it, frustrating. And that's that's been the Trey Flowers experience is that he he doesn't always make a play on the ball. He he's he's there. He's in position, and then you know, reach up, touch the ball, just disrupt the, the catch. Um, and instead he, he tends to wait and then make a tackle. Um, and for on a deep ball, you can't do that. You can't let them catch it and then make the tackle. So, um, anything else that you want to talk about regarding this last game? Um, I thought that, uh, Geno Smith looked, unimpressive um uh, alex mcgoo looked better alex smith know- really, or not alex smith sorry geno smith just really didn't have a lot of chances i mean they yeah. they nailed him you know on that blind side uh forsyth decided to yep. block in instead of noticing that somebody else was hanging out there on the outside which you know is going to happen um so that's that's tough but uh i it, it almost looked too like the offense was kind of being planned around Geno Smith being out there for a while and Magoo was kind of thrown out there a little bit. I was actually surprised they just didn't start handing the ball off more mm-hmm. um, as a strategy. I, but, you know, obviously they wanted to take a look at some things going in and, and uh, they just didn't execute well enough, like you said, get the offense on the field long enough to really look at, at players and get into a rhythm um, to, to find out at all if the offense was anything resembling like what we thought it might look like. It just, it just discombobulated on the field. Very frustrating game to watch as a fan. Um, I'm sure they're, you know, they'll be fine. A B they've got plenty of tape now to be able to look at, evaluate, make adjustments and so forth. So as a learning tool, you know, I think the team will be fine and, um, and go forward and we'll, we'll see what the product looks like coming out of the gate next week. And again, none of the none of the starters played. If any starters played on defense, it was fairly limited, more or less. I think Brooks had a had a great game. Very impressed with his speed. It shows up. Mm-hmm. Um Daryl Taylor I thought looked great for his first time out playing the yeah. first time in like twenty months or whatever it is off of that surgery. Missed the entire last year. A lot of build up this year for him to be able to come in and play. A significant role and in limited snaps out there i thought he he looked pretty decent i mean you can tell the guy is like built to rush the passer and just stop people um oh yeah you know um, crazy athletic yeah carlos dunlap uh said that after the game or maybe it was during the game that he needs to teach Ter- uh, taylor to cut uh, inside a little bit more um, I, when he gets around the edge, because he was, he's got that bend. He gets around the corner That's exactly well, right, Keith. and then heads right at the quarterback and the quarterback steps up and then you just miss. And so he's like, the quarterback is going to feel you and step up. So you just, you might as well aim for where they're going to be. And, Cause if you can get around the corner that well, um, you know, don't go right where they are, go one step in front of where they are. So, that that way, when they step up, you can still drill them. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was 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 an interesting uh, take by uh, Carlos Dunlap because what he's saying there 
is that Daryl Taylor is going to get around the edge a lot. Um, and so we've seen that with other players in Seattle where they get around the corner, but then they never seem to make that play. Um, well, you know who's going to benefit the most from, from that? Just like players benefit from Carlos Dunlap on the outside edge. You know, you're going to see guys that clean up really well, like Harry Hyder. Harry Hyder. And, yeah. and Puna Ford and guys on the interior are going to really benefit from, from that because mm-hmm. he's going to force everything inside, and which is part of his job, not all of it, but part of it. You know, if he gets there, great. I think the most important stat that Daryl Taylor will have this season is not necessarily sacks. It's, it's the pressures. pressures. Yeah. If he can, if he can get there and get pressures, I mean, pressure is, is production. Um, yeah. Sacks great because it ends the play and it's a loss and all of that. But even if you just get a quarterback under pressure, what you'll find is that their um, completion percentage drops by like 20% when they're under pressure than when they're not yeah. They're Um, you know, their yards per pass attempt dropped by a yard and a half. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of things. Just getting pressure is production. And if you can get pressure regularly, then you're dealing with a quarterback that's going to complete 20% fewer passes and that kind of stuff. And so, you're going to help out your teammates. Now, the other guy yeah. is the, is Alton Robinson. You, you mentioned him earlier. Here's a guy he, that is great at, good. at creating pressures. And now we're, we're looking to him maybe to to step up a little bit on actually converting those into into sacks mm-hmm. um, because he's just got a world of potential, you know. Oh yeah, he, he's not he as fantastic. much of a edge setter, run stuffer as Daryl Taylor will end up probably being as a player, but as far as just being able to disrupt the pocket and create pressure from the outside edge and and stunt inside occasionally and stuff. Robinson's an, an ideal fit in that Leo spot. Yeah, I I like him there and his his quick first step you could see kind of took uh the Raider tackles by surprise and they just had a hard time getting to their spot to stop him. He was disruptive, he was in the backfield a lot. Um yeah, it looked outstanding. I I was um was very pleased to see his, that he has developed. He looked very good last year, but he has has developed and looks uh, like he's ready to have a a massive impact. Uh, honestly, yeah. he's the guy. He's the guy that's going to. Um, be, he's not going to be a starter. He's going to be a rotational guy, um, but he's going to have a big impact on games, I believe. So let's transition over to um, to this week. And Mm -hmm. so the team's cut a few players. Um, They're learning from this last game, good and bad. And they transition into the second preseason games. There's only three this year. And then there's a two-week gap between uh, the final preseason game and the regular season. So strategically wise, where's the team at, regardless of opponent, this week and what they're trying to accomplish right now as a team. Um, and then how do they enter this next game and what are they looking for? What are they looking to do? And we're playing the Denver Broncos at home. Honestly, with the, with the, the weird priest, I'm not weird. This is, this is the new normal for preseason. Um, I expected Wilson and the starters to play 
and not maybe not play the the whole first quarter, but to Two play series. a couple series. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I, I was and, surprised. And all of that. So, so I was surprised that they sat 30-some players. Uh, now, granted, the fact that there was a cut after this game and they had to cut uh, five players uh, maybe played into that. And so they just really wanted to make sure that they got a lot of um, time to evaluate the, the, the back end of the roster. Um, but as far as prepping for the regular season, I expected Wilson and them to play. Um, and so now I'm looking at this game and what I want to say is, oh, so if they didn't play last game, that means Wilson and, and company are going to get some run in this game. They're going to play at least the first full quarter, first quarter, maybe the whole first half. Um, is that going to be true? Or are, are, are they going, I, I don't, I just don't, I don't know what to expect. I would, so I would certainly different. hope so and expect that because we've got a new offense here with a new offensive coordinator, new play caller. Uh, you know, some new players, you're trying to incorporate Gabe Jackson into this thing. Um, you're already sitting your left tackle. You've got now to incorporate, just in case, you've got to incorporate a new left tackle into the into the game plan and make sure everyone's kind of on the same place. I would assume, like almost assuredly, that 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 at least first half strategy would be implemented here with the starters or at least a blended roster with a majority starters um, mm -hmm. out there to, to make sure that things are as they seem in practice. But who knows? <laughs> that's why it's preseason and we just, we just have no idea. I would assume, though, that that's the, the strategy. So if it is the strategy, what are you expecting to see as far as uh, maybe not the scheme per se, because I think they want to hold a little bit of that back, but execution wise. Well, I mean, execution wise, it's got to be better. Um, I'm not sure how it could get significantly worse than what we saw from uh, Geno Smith and company. Um, but execution wise, it's got to be better this week. And I think if you have Wilson and Lockett and, and Metcalf and stuff, even if they're only out there for a bit, um, you're going to, it's going to be better um, because this is a, an offense that needs some rhythm. Um, they need to be able to complete some passes and get things rolling. And they just couldn't do that um, this week without their, you know, starters. And so getting a, an opportunity to come in and, and generate some rhythm, get some passes in there. Uh, I also expect them to run the ball more so they can, I, they can um, evaluate, you know, whether, you know, Dallas is going to be a, a guy that's going to push Penny for some playing time or whether he's just going to be the third down back. Well, let me ask uh, where you Where Collins is, that kind of stuff. Where are you at mentally with guys like Penny and Ethan Posick and some of the other players who, Cedric Abuahe, who aren't able to stay healthy during camp here. We, we aren't able to evaluate them. Does the team, um, is the team concerned about Penny? A. B. Is the team concerned about Ethan Posick given the play of Kyle Fuller in this first game? And do they possibly take a look outside of the organization to work deals on the Penny side and maybe bring someone else in on the center side? Honestly, yes, on both. If they can find a way, I think if there's somebody out there who comes offering picks for Rashad Penny 
um, the Steelers come to mind. Um, Can you be more specific? Picks? Oh, as far as picks? Mm -hmm. Um, You think of a fifth rounder? Fourth or fifth, yeah. I would take a fifth rounder right now. I'm sorry. I like the potential of Penny, but if Penny's not available, he has no potential. Yeah. And how how much of a failure is that first round draft pick that he essentially doesn't play for three years and then gets traded for a fifth rounder? Like, oh man, that's for a guy that has a lot of talent, a lot of talent. This guy should be, you know, just based on, you know, uh, a lot of different things should be a, a star at the running back position, but just couldn't stay healthy and ends up as a kind of a disaster. So, out. Um, yeah. now, now granted Keith, it hasn't happened yet, mm-hmm. but we're getting to that point where we are, the team needs to decide if they can depend on him to mm-hmm. fill that spot and that role, or they're going to have to go in a different direction. You've got guys like, um, Alex Collins, sitting there waiting, I think it would be an, an adequate replacement level for a guy that we never see on the field. You know what I mean? So you get, well, you kind of have to point, do that. At this point in my head, I, you know, obviously you've got Carson who looks, who looks great. You got Dallas who looks um, like he just looks quick and, and he's going to be a threat out of the backfield and, and that kind of stuff. He may not be the power runner we're used to seeing in Seattle, but he's, he's his quickness and, but you do need somebody is there. given Chris Carson's penchant also for injury. You do need somebody that can carry between the tackles that is going to be dependable yeah. on the roster. I would say in, in my head, our Alex Collins feels like the backup. He feels like the number two right now. And Penny's got to get out there and make some plays and remind us who he is um, because he's out there so irregularly that I, you kind of forget where he's at with the, um, you know, as the, the roster is, is, um, unfolding and, you know, getting put together. Yeah. It's just one of those deals. It's unfortunate, but now is, now is the time. I mean, he spent the entire off season getting ready. Every indication was he was going to be ready. And, and so far he has nothing, just no impact whatsoever. And so that's gotta be frustrating for him and for the team. So, um, good opportunity though for Dallas. I think Dallas looks like he's definitely ready to be the, the receiver out of the backfield back for the mm-hmm. Seahawks this year. Um, does that roll out of just sheer necessity uh, increase? I mean, can he carry the ball out of the backfield? I think in certain sets he could, in certain instances, he could probably be your in between the tackle guy, but not on a regular basis. I, I, I don't know that he's just built for that. Although I do believe that he would be capable for that. If should, it should happen for a game. Or, like I said, in certain uh, plays run for him, but um, Alex Collins or, or Bus for me, at least uh, on the current roster. So Yeah, um, Dallas, he's not the power runner that we're used to seeing in Seattle. He, um, he doesn't run people over. Um, so, I mean, he's got a lot of quickness and a lot of agility, and he can make people miss. And He could and provide us with that, with that Rashad Penny role, though. Which yeah. and Rashad Penny is kind of put into that second back. He does Rashad Penny's bigger, you know, he at two twenty five, mm-hmm. and Dallas is what two oh eight, two ten, yeah. something like that. Um, but I'm really interested to see what Dallas is going to bring in Shane Waldron's offense this year. 
you know, on, on some of those uh, outside zone runs and receiving the ball out of the backfield. There's a lot of scheming going on in Waldron's offense to be able to get guys in open space. And Dallas in open space is very intriguing to me. Then the other oh, guy yeah. that we haven't been able to see yet as well as Eskridge because of injury stuff with his toe. I understand he's working himself back into conditioning in order to be able to get onto the field. Haven't heard yet if he's going to be able to be available in this game. I would doubt it in a, in a sense that he just hasn't had any time at all practicing on the field with the team, but they may give, give him a few reps um, in, in a certain situation or something just to kind of see him out on the field. But uh, we'll, we'll see. Probably by Wednesday, we should have injury reports come out that tell us the status of, of him and, and where he might be at in, a, in availability-wise. But he would be a definitely a key cog in this offense. I thought Freddie Swain looked okay out there with backup quarterbacks. and mm-hmm. It is so discombobulated, it's really hard to evaluate. But, you know. He, he, yeah, Freddie Swain looked like a guy who is third wide receiver mm-hmm. on this team. Yeah, right. Um, and I know that Eskridge, we want him to be in that role, but you know he's got to get that toe healthy and and ready so he can make cuts and do his, um, you know, do his thing, and you know it, he just isn't a, a a situation where he is ready to go in and and make an impact. And we, you know, it's rookie wide receivers tend not to make the impact that everyone wants them to. Um, anyways, especially early in this season. And so with that, combined with the fact that he's been hurt, so he's not even practicing, like, he'll get an opportunity to play. He'll get some snaps. If he gets six to eight snaps a game early in the season, um, that's probably what we can ask for him. So what do you think about um, Ethan Postick, Keith? Not being available and just kind of the injury thing going on this year. I, I don't know if it's serious or if it's, it's hard because you kind of want that guy to be successful to have some continuity on the line. But at some point, I don't know. Well, I got to tell you, <clears throat> Fuller is not the answer. Um, he looked, he looked kind of terrible to be honest. Um, and so I, if, if uh, Phil Haynes can't, if he, if he's, kind of entrenched as a backup guard and they're just, they just can't get him enough practice time at, at center to win that job over Fuller, then they need to bring someone else in who can. Uh, because Fuller does not look... He, remember, he's playing against backups and he was just getting owned. Well, um, there is another on, center on, on the, the roster in Blad, uh, Brad Lundblade, but again, <laughs> if he can't surplant Kyle Fuller... Uh, on the roster, then you know it's not looking yeah, very good. Yeah, then he's not going to. And then and with Posick, it, it's frustrating because Posick um, has this opportunity to come in and show that he is the starter, that he is the guy at center, that he can be long term, um, you know, a long term answer there. But there's a reason why they signed him to a contract that looks like one for a backup offensive lineman and not a starter. Because they didn't, they don't envision him as a starting center. They envision him as a backup all across the interior. Yes. to play either guard spot or center. And they don't have a starting center on this roster. And uh, which so was posted, shocking to me because yeah, it, it, <laughs> I think the market. Well, the, the draft, 
really had left me perplexed. I mean, Creed Humphrey was sitting there. It fell into our laps. We both were like, would have been giddy if that had been the pick. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and it was not. Quinn Miners went later. He's on the roster of the team we're going to talk about in a second. I'm sort of jealous. Um, so, anywho, Quinn Lou, went, I think that much, that would have been a better. Later than you and I thought. Well, was well and it would have been a much, to me, strategy-wise, it would have been a much better situation for the Seahawks to address the long-term center solution as opposed to adding another playmaker on the offense at the receiver position when you just signed uh, Lockett to a longer-term mm -hmm. deal. So, I don't know. It's it's a tough deal. Anywho, um, let's talk about the game coming up on Saturday. We're playing the Denver Broncos. We're at home. First time there's going to be fans in the stands in over a year. Um, oh, that's going to be fun. Yeah, it'll be fun. Now, the pandemic stuff is still going. I think restrictions are coming down down the pike as far as having to prove your, you know, COVID um, vaccine or um, or a negative test, you know, right before the game time or something. But for now, everyone's going to be there. I think it's masks are definitely going to be optional and everyone's going to be screaming their heads off. So that'll be fun. I uh, hope it lasts, but um, talk to me a little bit about the atmosphere at CenturyLink, why it's important for the players, and then kind of get into the game itself um, against Denver and what you're going to be looking for specifically out of this game this time. We talked about it just at, at, briefly at the start as far as the scheme and wanting to see some execution, but let's go a, a little bit further. Well, I think when you when you start looking at, um, at this, it, it like I said, I still think that we need to see um, the offense, the offense just show us what we're going to look like. Because if if the offense that we saw against the Raiders is the offense um, this year, this team's going nowhere. Um, but it's not because you don't have your best players, right? You don't have your offensive line. You don't have Russell Wilson. Um, and zero execution. Right. Yeah. yeah we're and, not going to have so, zero execution. That's not going to be this team. This This offense... You know, mark my words, it will It'll be, be I know. a top five offense this year. It's just going to take a week or two of this preseason and maybe a week or two in the regular season to kind of get all the kinks worked out. And then it's going to be on its way, I believe. Yeah. And, and, and really, when you start looking at it, like they need they need an opportunity again in live action, not against um, the, you know, the, the Seahawks defense, but an actual, you know, game situation do some things and to actually get that precision that comes with, you know, an execution that's required. Um, and that's really where I, I think we're going to see in this game. And you're, you started out asking about the energy of, of, of central link field. That and can it's actually Lumen go a field. long way. Or <clears throat> you're right. Point. It is <clears throat> You've completely changed the name. And I keep, you know, it's like you saying um, <laughs> the Oakland Raiders yeah. last week. Uh -huh. Um, I, Three times I said gonna, that in about 10 minutes. It was crazy. I'm, I'm probably going to say CenturyLink Field probably about 100 <laughs> times this season because, well, um, old habits die hard. But uh, there at Lumen Field, um, the fans being there, there's an energy that, that comes from it. Now, I know on offense, you know, you try and tamp it down and, and keep things quiet so they can execute and all that kind of stuff. And we talk more about how they, you know, the fans impact defense because they get loud and all of that. But... There, it's also different in that when when you complete a catch, 
and they you can hear everyone like start to cheer because they're, they're you know they're everyone's keeping it quiet and we're trying not to make any noise so that way they can audible or do what they need to do and then Wilson drops back and he throws it and it's complete and everyone takes off it's like yeah um that energy carries into the players it really does like they can feel it and uh that kind of stuff if you want to look at at trying to get an offense going and 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 really look at at what it's going to look like having that level of energy around the stadium uh can really make a big difference and so that's more of of you know really what I want to see I want to see this I want to see this offense just do its thing how about defensively and, so you take take um, that same energy and apply it to the defense yeah I'll, although honestly I kind of liked what I saw from the defense I mean I want to see the I want to see the more talented players in there um you know I have to say though with that said I mean yeah we we did pretty decent I mean we had um you know, overall, I, I thought we did pretty well on defense. We created some pressures, had four sacks, all that kind of stuff, four or five plays behind the line of scrimmage. However, we did let their second string quarterback and their second string offense essentially go up and down the field on us. I mean, they, they held the ball for 40 minutes. Our offense didn't help us at all on, on the defensive side, but nonetheless, well, they were able to dictate terms it. against us, and, you know, we just kind of let them do it. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, I guess Nathan Peterman did have tw- did complete twenty nine out of thirty nine passes. So, um, <clears throat> but they had the they had the turnover. They um, made got some sacks. They got stuck, you know, in, in, into the backfield. They were disruptive. And your to offense me, didn't help you. I mean, you were on the oh, field yeah. a ton. All yeah, you right. were on the field just all game. Um, I mean, the offense only had nine first downs. So um, there's that. And no sustained uh, drives, really. Yeah, Just only one. four only four of 13 uh, on third down. So um, it, overall, it was it was pretty bad. But um, I don't know. I, I just I look at the, the defense and again, it's not the box score. The box score doesn't really count in the, pre- in the preseason. It's what are we seeing from individual players? And Correct. Um, I liked what we saw from Daryl Taylor and Alton Robinson, you know, the, the two guys that were draft picks a year ago. Um, and they're now coming in to year two for Robinson and year one for Taylor say, because of the dude, injury. The, Those guys look good. Yeah, I have to say, I'll just stop you right there. I am so thrilled that we finally drafted a couple of defensive ends that look like they might work out on, on the mm-hmm. defense. It's been a while, you know, I don't even, I can't even remember the last, defensive end that we drafted that ended up being above league average. See crickets. It's crazy. Um, it's true. I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like Quentin Jefferson is marginally um, just, just marginally above league average, but he was drafted to be a, he's on his third um, team as well in his fifth season. So maybe. really, really his fourth team. Cause he has two tenures with Seattle. True. Um, he was here. He got cut. Went, came back later, and then didn't get re-signed. Um, and so, yeah. But he was drafted to be a nose tackle, uh, a pass rushing nose tackle. So a guy that could come in on on third and long and whatever and rush in the interior. And then they he proved ineffective at that. And they figured out, oh, but if we play him at five tech, he can, you know, he can do some things. 
Um, but yeah, the I last mean, we've had Cassius Marsh, Nick Reed, uh, Lawrence Lawrence from uh, USC, I think, and in Pete Carroll's. Was that Pete Carroll? Or no, that was a that was a came. Mike that was a Mike Holmgren pick. But I think he was still here or something. You know, it's just it's just one of those things where we we've brought guys in. Um, mm-hmm. free agents and trades, but I mean, Bruce Irvin, um, would be the last one. Yeah. And, and, and he, he was the, the first one. <laughs> he, he, and he, moved, he moved the linebacker yeah. so that he could be on the field more because he was going to just be a rotational guy. Um, but they realized if they, he was athletic enough that they moved him to strong side linebacker, he could stay on the field in, in, and be there for all in, you know, play more. Um, but, yeah, Chris Clemens was a trade. Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett were uh, yeah. guys they signed in free agency. Uh, it they, they that's not a position they've drafted well, and now all of a sudden we have two guys that look like they're going to be. You know, I think really had good. had Malik McDowell not had the tragic accident situation happening uh, to him, I do believe that that probably would have been worked out a little better, just given his yeah. athletic <clears throat> traits. But it's I thought he was a, more of an inside guy. Like he was going to. He was definitely going to be a five tech guy that rotated in for sure. Mm-hmm. So um, Denver, I'm kind of envious of Denver's roster a little bit, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I, really? So you you like Drew Lock? Well, I, I'm not enamored. I'm not enamored, but I'll tell you what: if Drew Lock, if if that works, and the offense can actually move the ball and be a top 15 offense. And I think that that's certainly capable um, with their roster. Um, this team's going to probably get into the playoffs either as a wild card or, or straight up win the division. And, and um, uh, see, I don't buy it. I, well, you were, I don't, uh, Kansas I don't City's them, there, right? They're, Obviously. They're not, but, they're not competitive with Kansas City. And honestly, they're not, they're not on the same level, Keith, but they do have a roster that can win on any given Sunday. They're kind of like the Arizona Cardinals. If you want a kind of a a comparison roster out there, a quarterback that's capable that hasn't completely put it all together yet, that, but has upside that they're surrounding him with a lot of different tools, but maybe one player away or in, incomplete on a couple different things. Their defense is excellent. Their defense is solid. So that's the thing is 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 I'll give you. I like their their defense. Their defense is. Um, but listen to their offense though. Hold on before we get to the defense. Just listen. So yeah, Drew Locke. Quinn Miners at center looked fantastic in that first game that they had. Teddy Bridgewater's the backup. That's a great backup to have. Jerry Judy at wide receiver. Um, Kenny Hamler, Cortland Sutton. Um, they got Royce Freeman, Javante Williams. So they drafted Javante Williams and Quinn Miners. I'm totally jealous of that. If that could have been the Seahawks, that would I would have made my my draft. Melvin Gordon uh, running back. He's I don't know if he has anything left in the tank, but nonetheless, what I'm saying is they, they do have some playmakers on offense. If they put it together and their defense is solid enough, it's it, and it's a turnover machine kind of a defense, gives the offense a little bit more opportunities. I'm saying if the offense can put it together enough, that team could, could get into the playoffs and maybe cause some noise. Um, but the defense, Patrick Sertain, they picked up in the draft. Again, unbelievable draft pick for them. Um, Kyle Fuller, Von Miller still there. Um, Jamar Johnson, Justin Simmons at safeties. Bradley Chubbs there. I really like as a guy that's sort of like Daryl Taylor. 
Um, just anyway, I'm kind of getting too far into their roster, but what I'm saying is this will be a really good test for Seattle's offense against that defense that's really solid and a pretty decent test for our defense to try to stop their playmakers on the offensive side of the ball for Denver. Yeah. Um, I, I, I am just not as enamored with their roster. I like their defense. Their defense is good. There's a lot of talent there. Um, there's not a great amount of depth there, but there, there is a lot of high end talent, um, on offense. I think they're more of a mess than you want to say, um, especially their offensive line. I like Garrett Bowles at left tackle. Um, Quinn Miners looks good, but at this point he's not even a starter. Um, and you know, they're Risner in Glasgow, their guards are guys that they're nothing special. Um, Calvin Anderson on the, on the right side is, I mean, he, he can be good, but he also is going to make mistakes and give up some sacks. And, um, you know, I just, I, I look at, you know, their, uh, I mean, Javante Williams is the guy that I think is going to have a big game in this because you saw what that the Raiders ran the ball a lot and uh, and it worked and so uh, the you know they're going to get a chance to but I really don't like their quarterback situation. Um, if they can Drew keep Locke, him upright, I think he can do some damage. But uh, if he's he, chased, then he's he gets erratic and just like any quarterback or young quarterback, true, but it's not a, a outside of his you know comfort but in zone. The, I mean Teddy Bridgewater is a guy that's throwing everything underneath and refusing to throw it downfield. Yeah, well he's not going to be on the field. I mean not <laughs> in this game yes, but in the regular yeah. season he Drew, Drew Locke is a guy that throws everything down the field the, the, and refuses tell, to take things underneath. Yeah, the tell is that this team is still trying to figure out their quarterback situation long term. They're they're in mm-hmm. discussions with Houston, they're talking about that, you know, there was initial whispers and conversations about, um, you know, having uh, discussions with Green Bay for Aaron Rodgers. And so the team looks to to find that franchise piece. I, I don't think that they have it with Drew Locke, but Drew Locke could be a guy that could get them into the playoffs. I just don't know how far. Yeah, to me, I think they're the third best team in that division. I mean, it's a good division. So do you like, don't get me wrong. I like San Diego yeah. better. Well, San um, Diego definitely has the upside, and I love yeah. their their quarterback situation. <laughs> well, yeah, of course, <laughs> most teams <laughs> in the um, NFL do. <clears throat> so, I mean, um, Kansas City is the class the the class of that division and the NFL. <laughs> yeah, I think um, San Diego is a team that is probably a playoff team in that division. I think Denver. Wow. Wow. Really? Over Denver? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think Denver has the defense, but I think on offense, they're a mess. Um, and they're going to lose a lot of games mm. uh, because of interceptions and, and inability to sustain drives. And, well, that's and, and what stuff. I said. If they can put it all together, I think that they'll be decent. But you're right. They have to prove that um, first. And honestly, uh, see, now I, the opposite problem would be the. Yeah. The opposite problem for me is San Diego. San Diego, the defense is okay. The offense looks like it could be stellar. Uh, mm-hmm. So something's got to got to give there. So, all right. So they added a lot of young talent to that defense. I think they're going to be. They may not be great, but they're going to be young, hungry, and fast. 
um, and they'll make plays. So yeah, they may give up a lot of yards and whatnot, but they'll have the turnovers and they'll they'll do they'll make plays enough to win some games. And I think that's why they're um, I think that's why they're why they're better than Denver. Denver's defense is going to be fantastic. Well, and um, and and I'd like to see that actually line up against Seattle in this game, Russell Wilson and and some of the starters at least in the first quarter into the second quarter see mm-hmm. what they can do against that um and and, and you know the, the argument in the offseason for Shane in favor of Shane Waldron is he's a guy that's highly adaptable he's got a scheme for every defense he's not going to be locked into one thing if the defense gives them that they're going to take that until the defense takes it away I want to see that, what that looks like, show up on the field. Let's see it. You don't have to give away your entire offense or schemes, but let's see some execution against something that um, you want to start to uh, exert your will on a defense. I'd like to see a little bit of that. Even though it's preseason, I think it Mm -hmm. needs to happen in order for this offense to build some confidence going into the regular season. We've only got two more games here. Yeah, and um, honestly, like the one of the... One of the things that this last game pointed out, the one against um, Vegas, was the Seahawks need to figure this Dwayne Brown thing out. Because uh, with a he hurt, um, Forsyth got a lot of playing time and was up and down, but he's not ready. He may be ready in a year, but he's not ready now. Abuahi's out with an injury. Um, so you've got Shell on one side, and you've got a a, a rookie who um, needs development time on the other side, and it they they need Dwayne Brown healthy and in there. Yeah, I think he's going to be in there, but I think the team the the strategy, the off season strategy, was pretty clear, and I think we talked about this early on last March, April, and so forth that they would never they they did not intend to extend Dwayne Brown. We talked about his contract being something that they could um, work with if needed in the off season and so forth. They never touched it. And I think that really mm-hmm. was the tell that they weren't going to do anything that they were going to allow him to get to the end of, end of the season and kind of see where they were at. Um, yeah. And I still, I, I appreciate the team kind of doing that at Dwayne Brown's age. And then now kind of staking a stand a little bit, in, in essence saying, listen, you're under contract. We'll, we'll talk about it. We're looking at it, but we expect you to kind of enter the season and under, under the, your current deal. And that's, if that ends up being the way that it ends up being, I'm okay with that actually. Cause it, cause he's not going to hold out for longer than a game or two. I just, yeah. he, there's no there, there, there's no incentive for the team to extend him after the season starts. There's no incentive for him to miss games because he's going to miss paychecks. So something's got to go. The thing is that right now, the only tackle on the roster that is not on an expiring con expiring contract is stone Forsyth. The other three guys above him are all on in the last year of their deal. Unless you're an undrafted Um, rookie. Yeah, and so you have a situation where you're like, okay, 
are we really going to replace all of our tackles? I don't and think that that's not, a great negotiating place to come from if you're the Seahawks. However, right. it is it's, what it is. It's not a it's not a great negotiating place. But I'm just thinking more of in terms of a strategy place. If you are Seattle and you're looking at um, where you're at, where your roster is at, you need at least one of those three guys on your. That's roster why for I next thought year. that we should have drafted a lineman in in the second round because of this very situation. Yeah, but the guy that you were going to draft in the second round was going to be your starting center. What? Which you is at least one guy. Situ- which is at least one of those situations. Situation you're still going to have exactly the same situation you're in right if now. If you did that, that it, hold on though. If you did that, let's say we drafted Creed Humphrey. Uh, it would have been easier. It would have been an easier decision then at that point to say, okay, we took care of our center. We didn't take care of anything else. Let's go ahead and extend Dwayne Brown. That makes more sense at that point to extend Dwayne Brown for two years, really a one-year deal, and push that can down the road a little bit. Now that we have Stone Forsythe, granted he's a rookie, he's unproven, all that kind of stuff. Obviously, though, I think the team views him in a, in a situation where he could maybe step up in a year or two. There might be a weird year, though, like next year might just be one of those years where he's just going to have to play and he might not be completely ready, but they're going to kind of make him ready. See, and that's why I think that the fact that they and they gave away their their first round draft picks. That's the the hard part is they they used the strategy that I think that both you and I wanted them to use, which was to use one of their first round picks this year on a tackle in order to be ready to go next year to replace Dwayne mm-hmm. Brown. Now they use that for Jamal Adams. Now they're kind of in this tweener situation. It's hard. And that's why I think they need to extend Dwayne Brown. Because if you, if you, I, give I agree. Dwayne, I don't know why they we, waited. Give Dwayne Brown another year. Um, you know, so that he's got this year and next year. Um, guarantee the whole dang thing for all I care. Uh, if that's what you got to do to get it done, but give Did you him your, um, John Schneider's okay. comments on this. No. So John Schneider essentially came out and I'm, I can't quote him cause I don't have the quote in front of me, but he essentially said, listen, uh, he's under contract. Uh, we love Dwayne Brown. Um, but you know, if we do Dwayne Brown, if we extend Dwayne Brown, everyone's going to want an extension. Well, that's weird that he said that about Dwayne Brown because other key cogs in their system, they've extended in the final year of deals. Um, in the past. So I'm not exactly sure where that came from and why it applied to Dwayne as opposed to other players. Uh, it did not. So I thought that was an interesting comment from him that kind of essentially said that we're not going to do anything. Yeah. Um, it might also, it might've just been a negotiation spot. You know what I Absolutely. mean? So I, yeah, whatever. I'm not that worried about I'm it. not too worried about saying, this either or <clears throat> Jamal. It's like, yeah, you know, they seem to take care of the people that they want to take care of, and they have a strategy for situations that well, and they, they don't. Well, they want to take care of Jamal Adams, and they've offered him a ton of money. And I know it's just weird that they can't. But they hold all the cards. Yeah. They have three years well, of team then, control, ultimately. The funny thing is that um, there was a story that said that uh, Jamal Adams and his agent are going to challenge uh, whether mm-hmm. or not he's a safety come uh, all of Jimmy Graham and, and being a wide receiver. Yeah. Yeah. Although 
Basically, are they going to ask that he get defensive end money because he had the sacks last year? No, they're going to um, they're going to say that he's a linebacker because the linebacker money has gone up so much in the last three years that the average uh, top five linebacker pay is seventeen something now, as opposed to yeah, fourteen like, something for a safety. You've got the Va- you've got the Von Millers of the. Um, of the league that are, are keeping the, the, the money up there. And I guess Bobby Wagner yeah. <laughs> is keeping the money way up sure. there. So. And some others that didn't really deserve it, but drove the market yeah. up anyway. So yeah, no, I mean, the Seahawks are, are really pretty decent um, in pretty decent position. Now I don't believe that they're going to have a Jamal Adams situation, but if they do, I don't think Jamal Adams holds out for much longer than a couple of games because of the contract situation he's under contract for 9.8 million dollars on the last year uh, year of his deal uh if they franchise tag him the franchise tag uh in 2022 is around 13 million dollars the franchise tag if he should go a second time is 17 million dollars in the second year of the franchise tag. I thought it was it was 12 and a half and then 15 and a half something so something like that but under. either way they're spending yeah. less money to franchise tag him for two years, three years total team control than they would if they gave him a contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, offering him, they're offering him more than that to keep him happy. And absolutely you know, get him no, they're, they're, they're at that. 17. They're exactly where we talked about that the contract would be at 17 and a half yep. million dollars, roughly $40 million guaranteed. That's exactly where we thought he would be. That's probably where the team thought they would be when they traded for him and knew that they would have to give him a, a deal. If I was, you know, knowing that ahead of time, I probably would have tried to have had a deal in place during that trade so that you didn't have to come to this moment. But now that they are here, I think Seattle has plenty of leverage. It's just a being patient and kind of waiting this thing out. I think Jamal ends up coming to the table, completely honest, and, and getting here, you know, within the next calendar week might be after this game but maybe before the last game just so he's in, in camp ready to go well he I mean he is in camp both him and brand that is true. There, they're 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 hold ins instead of holdouts they're um they're there they're participating they're they're there at walkthroughs they're all the team meetings all the film sessions um which is a tribute not, to both the player and the team really it is really um, and what they're, but they're not, what they're not doing is, is out on the practice field and, and running around and, and putting their themselves at risk of injury. And actually, if you're going to have a contract thing that affects uh training camp, this is exactly the way it should be because especially with a new offense going in and a player like Adams that factors in all over the field um, defensively, like you need them in their learning this stuff, even if they're not on the practice field, like practicing it and, and that they're still mentally uh, engaged in learning. And so, um, and then, but for them, they're not, they're not risking injury on the practice field while they figure out this contract situation. So um, ultimately I think it needs to get done and it needs to get done with both players. And that's really what it comes down to. The Seahawks need to figure out a way to make it happen with both players, get them in here what if the team doesn't want for week one what what if the team i'm not going to say they don't want Dwayne brown next year but what if Dwayne brown next year interferes with their plans for 
Stone Forsyth's development and what they really want to transition to do to have a low cost on the roster left tackle of the future. And Dwayne Brown doesn't fit into that plan so that you've extended now a player that you didn't necessarily think that would be in your future. Is it in your best interest to do that? So you stick Stone Forsyth on the right side for a year. But maybe he's not a right tackle. Maybe, you know, he's not great at run blocking. Um, yeah, he might be able to protect that outside edge, but you want an effective guy over there to, to be able to push pocket or push defenders out of the way. I don't know. Maybe you, you could definitely be right, but I don't know. There, there's ways to make it work. Like I said, you can stick him at right tackle, get him that experience, get him out there playing, um, and then move him over a year later. It's, it's one year and you're getting him playing time. And the, and well, your, you know, but also your your sixth round draft pick that you just made that you have never seen in an in an actual game cannot be your only plan with no contingency I, plan. I agree. At left tackle. I agree. So I but you know, I the left buy. tackle that Dwayne Brown is um, is expensive. You know, yeah. at fourteen million dollars or whatever he's going to cost for a one year uh, extension or or two year at, at you know average. 14 million is, mm-hmm. is, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you've got to plan that and maybe they, they didn't plan to, to extend that and they wanted to make some other moves on the roster that now they would have to rethink if they, if they did that. But that's part of a, being a GM and having to adjust and adapt. And, and given, given the Russell Wilson situation in this last I agree. season, I agree that that plan needs to change. So unless you've got a, a Dwayne Brown level replacement for Dwayne Brown in your pocket. You do not let him walk and stick a sixth round draft pick that you've never seen right. in a game. And that's why you need position. to have a proper um, transition plan, you know, which, which goes back to the off season and the draft and all that kind of stuff. It's just one of mm-hmm. those deals where we haven't had a plan for Dwayne, a Dwayne Brown replacement, which, is causing this sort of situation. So anyway, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, we're kind of just talking in circles about this situation. It's going to get resolved. They'll probably end up giving him some money. They'll probably Mm -hmm. end up making it so that there's less of an impact on the cap. You know, this year, everyone's happy. They, they give that money, a little extra money over to Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams comes in. Everyone's happy. The roster's great. And, and we're, you know, there's no no sweat off anybody's back come the first week of the season, but you know we need to get there. So this is a topic of conversation. Everyone's kind of talking about it, but I really don't think it's that big of a deal yet. Um, yeah. Until we get past it's, the first game. It's not. Yeah. Until we get. Until we get. I, I'm not even past the first game. I think until we get to the end of the preseason, because there's a two week gap instead of the usual like one week gap. Right. Um, between the end of the preseason and the start of uh, week one. Now we've got an extra week in there. If you can get if you get to a day or two after that third preseason game and these guys aren't in camp, then I think it's a thing. Um, until then, it's not a thing. All right, we're going to wrap this show up. We've got another show just like this one next week after the Broncos game. We're going to preview the, um, the Los Angeles Chargers. We're going to see Justin Herbert and company. Um, I think I said San Diego Chargers a couple times earlier. I know. 
There's so many changes. It's it's harder to adapt <laughs> when you get older. You, you'll learn quickly. The, you're you're younger than me, but soon enough, should we, Keith. Should we talk about the St. Louis Rams? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So coming up, we've got that show next week, and then the week after that, we're going to do our fifth annual uh, roster cut, fifty-three man roster show, and then uh, we've got regular football to talk about after that. Um, I think, or or two weeks after that something like that um so follow keith on twitter at myers nfl i'm at nwc hawk the show is at hawks playbook seahawksplaybook.com has all the shows great website you can go look up a whole bunch of uh, stuff there all of our archives as well as current uh stories and um news feeds and so forth and you can find us on all of your favorite podcast apps and youtube uh, to watch the video um version of the show. So until next time, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NWSeahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.